Now, um, you'll notice that we have a film crew here today. That's just to really scare you a lot. That's the whole <laughs> purpose of that. <laughs> no, um, they wanted to say to you that uh, if you do not want to be filmed or you do not want your face to be posted over the TV, to let them know. David, if you can just stand up, David. David's the guy out the back who's leading the team. And uh, Tim is the guy in the green shirt standing up behind the cameraman. And uh, if you can let them know... Just if, raise your hand now if you don't want to be on camera. If you don't want to be on camera, way, raise your hand. So there's a few there. If, if uh, you can just take notice of those, just keep your hand up and that's fine. Yep. No worries. Okay. Said your missus? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Six months. Six months goes pretty fast, though, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Who's Who's new here today? Never been before. Would you mind just? So there's only a few of you. Okay. No worries. Well, welcome along. I'm Jesus. This is Mary, and uh, um, we've been doing these kind of uh, travelling around teaching. For I've been doing it now for nearly six years. Mary's been joining me for the last two or so. Um, yeah, willingly for maybe a, a year, you reckon? Will, <laughs> willingly. <laughs> Up here for maybe a year. Yeah. <laughs> so um, today what we're going to do is talk about your last six months and see what the last six months has been like for you. How's it been? Pretty rough, up and down, emotionally up and down. Yeah, it's not AJ to fix the, the addictions every two weeks. You notice that? You miss that a bit? Did you miss that a bit? <laughs> you don't know whether to give the right, what's the right answer, do you, really? That's the thing, and that's the problem. Uh, we'll talk about, we want to talk about addictions a bit more today, so we'll, we'll introduce the topic in a bit. We have a few announcements, just housekeeping things to sort out first. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I just wanted to, um, I'm going to be a part of this discussion in the second half today. This is really, um, I feel today's topic is really beneficial for all of us and it's stuff that I've been working through pretty constantly for the six months since I've seen you um, and I just feel if you can attend to it and um, really take it into your heart, it's really made a big difference to my journey and my relationship with God. So I'm going to let um, Yeshua do most of the talking to introduce it all, but um, hopefully in the second half I'll come up and just maybe relate some of my personal experience with these things because, um, yeah, like as you know, I've been around and supposedly on this path for a couple of years, but really in the last six months I feel like it's begun for me and I've begun to feel a connection with God uh, and also I've begun to really feel myself for for the first time ever, I feel. So, um, yeah, that's our plan, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So Mary wanted to share later some of her personal experiences about that. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, the air conditioner is just dropping onto the ground. It must be a... Uh, <laughs> we might have to open the window, uh, the doors a bit, if somebody could just open the back one over yeah. there. I'll, I'll do um, that. And there'll be a bit of airflow through, but... It's probably an evaporative system, so we'll have to... Okay, I'll catch you all later. Oh, very subdued. What's going on? The subject today that I wanted to talk about 
is a part of the Human Soul series of talks. And the sub-part of this uh, discussion is something that I feel has been happening to you for the last six months, for many of you. And so I want to talk about them. It begins with the addictions, and uh, we've talked a little before about addictions, but then uh, I'm, uh, I can't even spell still. You see, I haven't improved with my spelling. <laughs> haven't improved. I have improved in other areas. Addictions and bribery and fear, threats, and blackmail. That's a long-winded topic, isn't it? Addictions and bribery, fear, threats, and blackmail. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this subject is I can feel that many of you are still in addictions with regard to your development towards God. And what I wanted to do today is firstly explain to you how addictions interfere with your relationship with God. Does that make sense? And then after we've talked about that, we'll talk about these other aspects of bribery, threats and blackmail how we emotionally engage these things constantly. What we often do, before we realise it, we're bribing someone emotionally or we're even threatening them emotionally or even we can get to the stage where we're blackmailing them emotionally just to get our addictions met. And so what we want to do today is talk about how our addictions actually call into us all of this very unloving behaviour. And remember, every time we engage in unloving behaviour, we're affecting our soul. Our soul condition is degrading, becoming darker. And it's the addictions, actually, too, that prevent many times our relationship with God. So what I want to do first is just remind you of how the relationship with God is established. And it's the same kind of material we've looked at before. So if I just rub that out, that's our title. But it's taken up too much of the board for me to leave there. All right, so we start with God. And here's our, our soul. This time what I'm going to do, instead of drawing us as half of the soul as I normally would, so if you're a male, that would be the male half of the soul, and if you're a female, that would be the fem feminine half of the soul. Let's just draw us as a... This is not very good here, is it? I'll just see if I go with a different rubber. That doesn't work much either. I think we'll discard that pen and go to a different one in my collection. All right, so instead let's draw our true self as a circle. That's me, my true self. Now, my true self isn't the person that I want to look like to everyone else. It isn't the person that I want everybody else to perceive me to be. It's actually the person that God sees. That's our true self. 
But then wrapped around our true self, there are just layers of things wrap, wrapping around our true self. You often refer to them as like onion layers that you're digging down through emotionally, right? So the first layer above our true self, and you could say our true self is full of what you would call causal emotions, right? Or emotions that are the emotions, the real emotions that prevent our relationship with God. They're there in that true self. But around our true self, there is a layer generally of fear. Does that make sense? So the fear is blocking us from accessing our true self. Kinds of fears might be, I'm afraid that you might see me as a terribly bad person. And so what I do is I put on, when I'm with you, then I put on a front so that, so that you see a different person than what I perceive myself to be or of what I really am. Now that's my fear that I'm not allowing myself to feel. That fear is dictating that action. And I'm afraid of you seeing me as I truly am, so I now put on a front. And the fear is the thing that allows me to put on that front. And then what happens with the fears is our fears, uh, usually these fears are all created, of course, during our childhood and our environment creates them. And so what happens, our fears then dictate the next layer of what happens in our life. And the next layer of what happens in our life is... Our addictions. So if I'm afraid of you seeing me as I truly am, I then set up a system that I create and I create through this system an addiction. I'm addicted to you seeing me differently to what I truly am. I want you to see something different than what I see because I'm so terrified about what I see inside of myself and I don't want to feel that and so what I do instead of doing that is I want you to see something completely different to what I feel myself to be and so I set up these addictive interactions with people around me and so I want them to placate that fear that I have, the fear of my true self, the fear of seeing myself as I truly am and those addictions go into play. Then when my addictions are not met I do another thing. So this is another circle. What is that? Anger. So I start getting angry with my environment somehow. And when I say with my environment, it is usually the people in my environment that I get the most angry with. But sometimes it's with the environment itself, isn't it? Like a mozzie comes along, bites you on the arm, you're angry with the environment. It, the mozzie never met your addiction. He shouldn't attack you. Bang. That's also a simple action that is taken out of anger of attack, something that didn't meet your addictions. Does that make sense? And it, it plays across, right across into very, from very simple areas of our life, right the through to very complicated areas of our life, which we'll talk about as we go on. Now, in amongst all of this, God is wanting to have a relationship with us. But can you see the problem? You see, God has her Holy Spirit, which is like a conduit, that this is us now, us, not, not just our true self, but now there's all this stuff now within us, and God is trying to connect to us via this connection 
called the Holy Spirit, which is the connection via which God, it's like a conduit via which God can pump us full of God's love if we have a longing for that love. And so we're there longing for this love or thinking we are, but we've got all these fears, addictions and anger all in place around our true self. Now God's wanting to connect to our true self. In fact, the only way God can connect is to our true self. Does that make sense? It's the only way God can connect. So this Holy Spirit, which is available everywhere in the universe to any person who has a longing for God, it cannot connect with us. And if there's no connection, you remember the Holy Spirit is also a spirit of truth. So in other words, unless we are in our true self, nothing can flow. Nothing can get in. And so what's happening is God's Holy Spirit's there waiting for a connection. It's waiting for us to deal with our fears, deal with our addiction, deal with our anger. Now, God's got a lot of other things in play to help us with those three things, and we'll talk about that as we go on. But for the moment, the main thing to understand is that God's love cannot flow into a soul unless the soul itself is in a position. And remember, in the course of a day, this position may waver, so you might have 10 minutes of the day where you're in your true self. Now in that 10 minutes, God can connect with you. Right? But if you're at the rest of the day you're in addictions, then God can't connect you there. And so you, can you see, this is why we only receive dribs and drabs of divine love. And this is also why many people who have been in Christian religions, who have received some divine love, get to a certain point where they can't receive any more. And the reason why they can't is because these fears, addictions and anger that is all laying, layering around the true self are not being dealt with. And unless they're dealt with, that spirit, Holy Spirit connection cannot be made and the divine love, which is the thing that flows through the Holy Spirit to the person, cannot flow. Can you see how important it is to your relationship with God, that fear, addictions and anger are dealt with. Can you see that? Without you dealing with those things, what happens is that the connection with God cannot be maintained and usually what we find happening in the course of a practical day is we might have a little bit of time in the morning, we'll get a bit of time for ourselves and we pray a bit for, a, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes and in that time we might be connected to our true self and so we receive some divine love. Does that make sense? And then what happens after that? After that what happens is we get out of our true self into some fears, the day kicks in, you know, we have to have the coffee to start the day because now we're a bit worried about the day and the day the day kicks in and as the day kicks in and goes progressively further through the day we've got all of these pressures responsibilities day-to-day life now affecting our longing for God and a lot of the times we don't realize but a lot of the times we are in our addictions with almost every interaction that happens during the day now in that space our true self is now under buried under these addictions and fears and as a result of that our true self isn't being expressed and we cannot receive God's love during that time and then sometimes by the end of the day we're quite tired sometimes quite emotional by the end of the day we sit down to have a rest 
And now we're starting to get back in touch with ourselves. This is what normally happens for us. We start getting in touch with ourselves to a degree. And as that happens, we start to reconnect with our true self, the real person we are. And we feel, oh, that was an overwhelming day. And you feel a bit emotional about that, perhaps, or a bit sad about it. Maybe even might cry about it. Or there might be other things occurring as well. And as a result of that, you are now getting back in touch with your true self and some more divine love can flow in that day. Now, if you look at your 24 hours, so we've got 24 hours. How many minutes is that? Anyone's good at math? It's times by 60, isn't it? So what's that? What is it? Well, do we have to do long multiplication on the... Do we have to do a math class now for everyone? Do we? Right. It's 24 by 6. What's 24 by 6? 1, 4, 4, That's how many minutes there are in a day. All right. Mm. And how many of those minutes did I say we were connecting with God? 10, maybe 20. So how's that as a ratio? 20 out of 1440. That's not very much, is it, really, when you look at it in terms of the slice. Now, you know what we often do with that? We often go, 10 years later, we go, God, I've been searching for you for 10 years. <laughs> no, you've been searching for God 20 minutes of the day for 10 years. Basically, that's what's been happening. So we need to address that. So this is what's going on with us most of, our, most of our lives. So we want to stop this process. We want to get to a place where we're in our true self most of the time. Can you see that? And to do that, we're going to have to understand some things about ourselves. We're going to have to understand our fears. We need to understand our addictions. And we need to understand the reasons for our anger. Can you see? And if we can start getting into those things, then some divine love will flow. Now, there's a lot of people who talk about God's love and they say, no, no, that none of what AJ is saying there is true. What it is, is God's love automatically deals with all of those things. And I want to tell you that that's not true. It's not true that God's love automatically deals with those things. In fact, a hundred years or so ago, when we channeled to James Paget, I actually wrote a message to James Paget about this. And I'd just like to read it to you. All right? This is what it says. I am here, Jesus. I desire to write tonight on the subject of how the redeemed soul is saved from the penalties which sin and error has brought upon it. When the soul is in a condition of sin and error, in other words, when the soul has all of these things going on inside of its causal true self and all of these different things that motivate its actions out of harmony with love, and remember all sin is, is disharmony with love. That's all sin is. So when we talk about sin, we're talking about the disharmony with love in our soul. When the soul is in a condition of disharmony with love, it is not responsive to the inflowing of the Holy Spirit. And in order to get into condition of receptivity to these influence, it must have an awakening as to its actual condition of enslavement by these things. In other words, while we have all of these things in play, 
we are not open to the reception of divine love through the Holy Spirit. We're not open to the connection. If we're not open to the connection, we've got to have some other kind of awakening to get us open to the connection. Does that make sense? The divine love itself doesn't open our connection. We have to be open first before the divine love can flow into our soul. I said, until such an awakening comes to it, there is no possibility of it receiving the love of God into it. And in turning its thoughts to the truths of God and to the practices of life that will help it in its progress towards the condition of freedom. So while this state, while I am blind, while I'm blind here and also here, to what fears I have, what addictions I have and the anger that I have buried inside me, while I'm blind to all of that, I am in a condition of unreceptivity. I am in a condition of resistance to God. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah? And by the way, feel free to ask any questions as we go. So does everyone that make sense? So while I'm in that state all blocked up, the divine love cannot flow into my soul. It's only those moments in time when I'm unblocking and seeing something, that's the moment in time. Peter, you, if we can have a mic there. You don't need to turn it on. It's already on. Oh, did you? That's not how you turn it on. Especially to leave them on. That's it. AJ, how, how does that relate to prayer then as being the main, the main one of the, the most important ways to, to connect to God? And, and also, how does, how does what you're uh, explaining relate to um, the orthodox Christian view of creating a connection to God? All right. Well, firstly, let's address prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is the sincere and pure longings of the soul, the true self, towards God. Now, can you say that you have sincere longings when you've got a heap of fear, a heap of addictions in play and a lot of anger inside? Now, obviously, there's less effectiveness there, isn't there? If we, if we start addressing the fears, addictions and anger, we can have some pure longings. And remember, prayer is the pure longing of the soul. It's not the soul going, oh, I think I'll have a prayer with God. I'll just sit down for 10 minutes and I'll ask for God to give me this or give me that or do this for me or do that for me. Without me facing myself, God requires that you face yourself in the process. And that's what prayer is in the end. Prayer is the longings of your soul in its pure state. And that only happens, for most of us, a few minutes of the day. And to be honest, how many of you feel divine love flowing every minute of the day? Like, it's very rare, isn't it? And in fact, to get to that point, you have to be actually at one with God. That's the time when you're at one with God, you will actually have divine love flowing every minute of the day. And what I'm trying to explain to you today is what's blocking that love from flowing every minute of the day. And it's these things the fear, addictions and anger. It's the lack of the awakening that I mentioned in the pageant messages. When I said, until such awakening comes to it, there is no possibility of receiving divine love. So you can pray all you like in terms of the physical act of talking to God, but the prayer is not going to reach any further than your brain and the waves that come out of it because it can't unless it's pure. 
God connects with the pure soul, the one, and often there's words that we use, the repentant soul and all of those other kinds of terms we might use, and that's the connection that God maintains. Now the second question, Pete, I can't remember, so you have to, if you can remember it for me. The second question was, well, how does that relate to uh, Orthodox Christianity right. and, and people going along to church and, and, and believing that they're in the zone and they're praying and connecting and yep. I'm, I mean are, are they? <laughs> well obviously there are times like you go to if you go along to how many of you have been along recently to some Pentecostal church or something like that how many just a few okay it's interesting when you go along because there are times when you can see God's love is flowing into the individual's present and that's the times usually when their emotions are free and open and they have a deep longing. Most of the time it's happening when they're singing or some kind of uh, thing like that is going on and they're feeling really emotional towards God, feeling a lot of desire and love for God and in that moment divine love flows into their soul. So in that moment divine love flows. But in most other moments of their life they're not in that state and therefore divine love cannot flow. In, in, in any other state than that state and what I'm saying to you today is these are the reasons why divine love doesn't flow all the time to most people is because they're unwilling to have the awakening as to the perception of their true self of their true nature what's really going on inside of them they're unwilling to actually awaken to what the error is present inside of them if I can continue reading this because I said I would not have mankind believe that any soul is compelled to stay in this condition of slavery to sin until the Holy Spirit comes to it with the Father's love to bestow it in all abundance. For the mission of the Holy Spirit is not to awaken man's soul to a realisation of sin and death. So the mission of the Holy Spirit isn't to awaken man's soul but merely to bring the divine love to the soul when the soul is ready to receive it. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit. The soul has to be gotten by us into a, through our free will into a state where we can receive divine love. When we're in a state where we can receive it, the Holy Spirit makes a connection to our soul. Once it makes a connection to our soul, what happens? Now the, holy, the, holy, the connection is made, the conduit is established, the divine love flows into our soul. That's what happens. The awakening, in other words, the awakening to these things, the sin and error that exists within the soul, the awakening must come from other causes that influence the mind as well as the soul and cause them to realise that the life man lives is not the correct life or the one in accord with the demands of the law of God or with the real longings of their own hearts and souls. Let me illustrate. Today or last week, how many of you actually did what you really wanted to do? Really wanted to do? The whole week? A few? Yeah? Now, can you see straight away that most of us are ready to do things we don't want to do? Why is that? The reason why is because we have addictions. We, we believe, we have belief systems in play, false beliefs, they're all false beliefs by the way, 
We have false belief systems in play that tell us, I've got to work 40 hours. Otherwise, what's the fear? I won't have enough money to pay my mortgage. And I'm driving along to work and I'm going, whoa. Each kilometre I drive, my heart sinks a bit, right? For many of us, that's the way it is when we drive to work because we don't really want to go to that job. So what are we doing to go to that job? We are further and further detuning from our true self. Does that make sense? And by the time we got to the work, we are now totally out of harmony with our true self because what does our true self want to do? It's screaming at us saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go and do something else. That's what it's saying, right? But we are too afraid or we're too much in our addictions to go and embrace a life that we're passionate about and as a result of all that we enjoy. And so as a result, we stay doing the fear-based thing out of an addiction. Does that make sense? And as we stay doing the fear-based thing out of the addiction, can God connect to us in that place? No, not anymore. Karen, you'd like to, if you have a mic, just down. I used to really want to do a lot of things, and now I find that I don't have the desire, and I don't know why that happens. Yep. Um, a lot of times what happens when we first start hearing the divine truth, we go through this really strange stage, right? And the strange stage is we, we almost feel that our fears kick in, actually, because we're so afraid of disappointing God in some way that we don't do anything at all. We're like a person who's so afraid to actually go out and do what we desire. We're so worried that our desires might be out of harmony with truth or out of harmony with love that we, we actually decide, oh, I'm not going to do that and I won't do that because that's got this here in it. Instead of just doing it still and actually bringing our desires into harmony with the love, we have a tendency then to avoid the process of acting. And that is what suppresses those desires that we used to have. Also, at the same time, what is going on is we start recognizing, oh, I used to really like doing that. You know, like I used to really like eating lots of ice cream. You know, you know the story that I've already told you. Like I get a four litre tub of ice cream, cut it into fours with a knife, bring out one litre on the plate, pour it over with the topping. That was my dinner. I didn't believe in having, like, I, I believed in having ice cream before dinner. Like, well, if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, you've got the most room for the thing you like the most. But anyway, so, so, so what I was doing there is just I, I, I was in this place where I was just enjoying eating my ice cream. And then, uh, you know, as you progress, you go, oh, you know, oh, I wonder how they produce this ice cream. All oh, right, you know, like, and you go through all of that and you have a look in the internet and you investigate all of those things and you come out, wow, they, you know, they kill all these calves and they all go off to the slaughter and this all happens and that all happens and then they feed these cows this thing and a lot of them are kept in these little booths and by this, time, by this my conscience is now starting to bother me about this ice cream, right? So now I'm not feeling good about eating my ice cream that I used to enjoy, right? So, uh, but I still want to have it. Because it tastes nice still and everything else is still going on. So, so I'm going through this phase where I, I'm thinking things like, what do I do? What do I do with that particular thing or that particular thing? You know? and, and so a lot of times I start getting myself really mixed up with my desires and passions. 
The key is to not do that. The key is to go ahead with your desires and passions, but keep them in harmony with love or bring them into harmony with love. And in fact, if you allow God to help you with this process, which we'll talk about in a minute how that happens, your fears and addictions will all be get dealt with and your life will automatically come in harmony with love, but you'll be passionate doing things. So you'll actually find, if you're finding right now that you're quite sort of down, depressed and not really getting much accomplished, that's because you're afraid to act and that's a fear. That's not uh, a thing to do with your true self. Does that make sense to everyone? So my suggestion, Karen, is there's two things happening. One, that I'm first in the state where I'm afraid to act because I'm afraid that one of the things I act in might actually be in disharmony with one of God's laws and I'm afraid of somehow getting punished. And I need to deal with that fear because God's not a punishing God. I just need to feel the results of every action that I take. Secondly, sometimes at the beginning my conscience bothers me and so then I stop doing the things that I used to desire but I don't replace those desires or merge those desires into love and we need to do both of those things. I'll just keep reading this. It says, Until this awakening comes to the soul, comes, the soul is really dead so far as to having a consciousness of the existence of the truths or of its redemption is concerned. And such death means continuance of the thoughts of evil and sin, which are all related to our fears and our addictions and our anger and rage, in the life which leads only to, to condemnation and death for long, long years, it might be. So, so what often happens is because we have these things in play and we're wanting to maintain a sense of blindness to them, what we finish up doing is we allow years to go past. And years and years go past and we, we really make very little progress in love. One of the questions I was going to ask you earlier was, how many of you feel you've progressed in the demonstration of your love in the last six months? So how many of you feel that? So quite a number. That's it's really lovely. Some of you haven't actually progressed. In fact, some of you have regressed in the demonstration of your love in the last six months. And you, you can feel that too. You feel that in your soul. And the, reason why, the only reason why we can make progress is because we start addressing the awakening of our soul. The awakening of our soul, seeing ourselves as we truly are. And in fact, in the end, remember, we've talked in the past about other things, but one of the things is seeing ourselves as God sees us, warts and all. right? That's what we need to see. And of course, God looks down and sees us, warts and all, and still loves us and knows our pure, the pure part of our soul that's in there. So God still feels that for us. But God also sees the fear that you have and God sees the addictions that you have and God sees how you were unloving here and how you were unloving there and what you did last week that was unloving to your partner or your neighbour or your child. God sees all those things too. And what we need to do is come to see the same things. Because if we saw them, we probably wouldn't do them anymore. That's why we need to see them. And unless we see them, we will not have the awakening we need to have. But come nearer to the point of my discourse, I said, this was 100 years ago, the soul that is existing in sin and error will have, sooner or later, to pay the penalties for such sin and error. And there is no escape from the payment of these penalties except in the redemption that the Father provided by the new birth. So in other words, 
I can stay in these sins and error, in the addictions, the anger, the rage, the fear, and not deal with any of those for as long as I desire. God has given me the free will to make that choice. So God has allowed me to choose to remain in that place for as long as I want. However, there is penalties associated with staying in those places because every one of these things creates actions and creates words and deeds that, that actually damage your environment and damage yourself. So at the end of the day, we just get darker if we do that. Right? We don't want to do that if we really want to get closer to God. These penalties are only the natural results of the operation of God's laws and they must be endured until the full penalty is paid. Even though a man may progress to a higher condition of soul excellence and have such happiness, yet he must pay the last farthing and thus release himself from these penalties. So in other words, these penalties, these things here, which are not just our, the results of our own sin or missing the mark with regard to love, but they are also the result of the sins or the missing of the mark of love of our environment. Right? So we grew up in an environment that is already unloving for most of us. You look at our day-to-day -day actions as a collective human race. Right, right now in Japan, there's got, they've got the issues with the nuclear reactors, right? Well, who ever thought of building a nuclear reactor in the first place? It, it, does that seem to be a loving thing that something could go wrong and actually cause the destruction of thousands, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people? Can you see it was born from an unloving decision in the first place and in the end from a fear, the creation of those things? And we're now dealing with the consequences of that fear being expressed and turned into actions. Right? And in particular, the Japanese people have had a history of the consequences of that in their lives, have they not? And yet, as a, as, as a world, we do not learn. Why? Because we want to remain blind to ourselves. We don't want to have the awakening we need to have to make the changes that need to occur. Does that make sense? Now, in the prayer for divine love that's mentioned in the Paget messages, I'd just like to read you one line of it because this is a part of the topic today. It says, this is part of the prayer to God. Keep us in the shadow of your love every hour and moment of our lives and help us to overcome all temptations of the flesh and the influence of the powers of the evil ones who so constantly surround us. You remember those words when you read them? Many of you have read those words. Right, so there's two issues there. There's the temptations of the flesh, and then there's the influence of people around us who influences into following the temptations of the flesh. Does that make sense? And I know that sounds all very uh, Christian and, and whatever, but if you think about your practical day-to-day -day life, there is many times where you're tempted away from love, is there not? Where you're tempted to be angry or get into a rage with somebody or all of that. Now, automatically in that place, we are surrounded by spirits as well, right in the same condition, who want to help you do that action. They are ones who want to make, make it worse, make your life worse. They want to enjoy seeing your degradation. And so they help you go and do that. How can they do that? They can only do that because we have fears and addictions and anger in play. Because if we were willing to feel those feelings without acting upon them, 
they would never be able to influence us. No one in your life, no one in this world can ever influence you as long as you are willing to stay feeling your feelings and have every feeling in harmony with love. Not a single person can influence you out of love when you stay in that place. So if we are receiving influence from our external environment, whether it be spirits or people on earth, it's because we have our fears and addictions in play. We don't want to face those fears and addictions. So can everyone see how important it is to have this discussion? Yeah? So it's really important to start facing some of this stuff. Is there any questions so far? Chris, up the back there. Just keep your hand up, Chris, because people don't know. That's it. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if any other substance besides divine love flows from God? Uh, Yes, there are lots of other substances that flow from God, but the divine love is the only substance that flows through the the Holy Spirit that that, that is designed as a connection to the human soul. Does that make sense? But there are lots of other substances. In fact, in fact, all of our life, our actual life force, is a force that flows through the universe from God as well. Totally different substance, and yet it flows constantly from God. Now, most of us are open to accepting that, and so we stay alive and, and life continues. And in fact, the entire universe is pregnant with life as a result of that particular substance. But that's not the substance that's going to transform your soul. The substance that will transform your soul is divine love and that flows through the the only connection it can flow through, which is the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I've got one more question. Yeah. Um, You know how you said spirits connect to us in our anger? If we're in our true self, do spirits help us as long as there as well? Um, There are certainly spirits that help us with our true self, but they are always going to be spirits who love us. In In other words, they're going to be loving spirits. Any spirit who loves you will want you to connect with your real self, no matter what's in there. And if what's in there is a bit of rage and anger, or a childhood rage I'm talking about, or childhood grief or whatever, then those spirits who love us will want to help us connect to that emotions. But spirits who don't care about us very much, they are more interested in connecting there to us. So these are the malevolent spirits. Well, let's, in the Paget messages, we called them the evil ones. They're not permanently evil in that they could change just like any other person can change, but they desire to influence us in our addictions so that they can get their addictions met. So you imagine if I'm a drinker, in the, I'm a drinker on earth, alcoholic on earth, I pass over into the spirit world. What's my physical addiction? Alcohol abuse, is it not? And there's no alcohol in the spirit world. Sorry to say that for you guys who want there to be but that's the way it is so so what do I do I'm looking for this addiction I want this addiction right it's a physical addiction not an emotional one at this that we're recognizing at this point we're just focused on a physical one what do I what am I going to do the only thing that's open to me to do unless I deal with my emotional reason why I have the addiction is to go and find a person on earth that I can connect with and share in the experience of drinking alcohol with And this is why you have people on earth, they're sitting at the bar, they don't even know who they are, still standing upright, drinking. They've drank enough to to, kill a horse, but they're still still drinking. 
Why? Because it's not just them sharing in the act. It's now all these spirits. But what's the person motivating the person on earth? Well, they're in an addiction too, an addiction of avoiding their emotions and a way to avoid their emotions. It might be their fear, their unworthiness or some other really painful emotions from their life experience. Now, while they're avoiding that emotion, what do they do? They turn to drink and that helps them avoid the emotion. But unfortunately, some of the spirits who also want to avoid their emotions share in that process and make the process even worse. Does that make sense? That's what happens. The spirits who love us don't do that. The spirits who love us care about our worth, care about our, our progress. They want us to connect to God and so therefore they don't desire us to stay in our addictions. Is that all, Chris? Yeah. None? Thanks, AJ. No worries. Anyone else have a question? If we come down here and then across to Robert over there. Let's just here first. AJ, whenever I try and get real about my true self and about how I actually am, yep. I get into a real self-judging place and I don't know how to see myself as I am without going to that judging place. So you go into a self-punishment. Yeah. Yep. Self-punishment is also an addiction and we need to come to recognise that it is. So, so what would you do if you were in an addiction? Let's say you had a problem with smoking and, um, and you were giving it up. What would you do? Would you, would you have the smokes laying by the bedside table? You wouldn't, would you? What would you do with them? Get rid of them. Yeah, most, most people jump up and down on them, throw them in the bin. And, and then later on at night, search through the bin for that. <laughs> for that. <laughs> Can you see, what we often do is we revert back to the behaviour that is a part of the addiction. Self-punishment is an addictive behaviour established usually by our parents, actually. So whenever we learnt, when we were young children, that one way to get mum and dad's approval is to agree with their punishment of us. Right? So therefore we go into this self-punishment phase every time we notice something that we feel is bad about ourselves. Now self-punishment is also an addiction. So we need to address that as an addiction rather than actually acting out the self-punishment and punishing ourselves even further. Does that make sense? So, so we'll talk about how to do that later in the discussion. If, as long as you understand at this point that self-punishment, a self-attack, is, is an addiction in itself. And we need to address that addiction if we really want to progress. Now, the problem is, when I'm prepared to punish myself, evil spirits who are around me are also then prepared to punish me. So they come in and even worsen the emotion. And that's what happens, because instantly I, I just hear them. You're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. Yeah, they'll, stay, they'll start saying things to you, saying you're a bad person anyway. Because what, what do they want you to do? They want you to give up the quest for truth and love and go back to satisfying their addictions, whatever those addictions were. That's what they want to do. Does that make sense? So, so they want you to punish yourself, because in the place of self-punishment, you know what you often do? You just give up. You just go, ah, oh, blow this. You know, usually we use the F word or two. Blow this. I'm tired of feeling this bad, and no wonder, because you're punishing yourself all the time. And so we go, I'm tired of feeling this bad, I'm just going to give up anyway and I'll just go back to my old life. How many of you have thought like doing that in the last six months? Exactly. See? It's, a, it's, a, it's something that happens on a regular basis and it's something we need to deal with as an addiction. 
We have that addiction because we're invested in our parents' viewpoint of ourselves. So, so when our parents punished us, they needed a justification for that punishment. And so, what, and so what we start doing is we start justifying to ourselves our own punishment of ourselves. Now, God doesn't want you to punish yourself. God wants you to change. You're not going to change punishing yourself more. Does that make sense? We're only going to change if we realise that that's one of our addictions and where, what it's related to. We'll talk more about what it's related to perhaps at another time. Yep. Now, I was over here, uh, there was... Oh, AJ, my yep. question was so similar, it's probably been, okay. a- been answered, I'd say. Okay, yeah. so that's dealt with. If we go to Dave, just straight behind, and then across. AJ, in regards to, to faith, I heard you on a download recently say that faith comes to us in a similar way to the Holy Spirit. So when we pray for faith, and I've had my guides often mention to pray for faith, so we're asking for God to, to give us faith or is it something that we can bring from within us? And I presume it's, it's going to help us to, um, to feel how we are or to see us how we really are. The irony, Dave, is that faith, true faith, really only comes from divine love entering the soul. When you feel that love entering your soul for the first time, you'll realise, number one, that God exists, number two, that God can give you love, and number three, that you can receive it. Now, in that place, you now have a greater faith. And then as God gives you more and more love, your faith will grow. So the truth is that a prayer for faith is just often a prayer for more love so that we can have more, a greater personal experience. Now, in that talk about faith, I said, that, I said that faith is a real thing. It's a substantial thing. It's not something that we invent in our mind and then go ahead with. Faith is something that's happened to us. So, so as the divine love enters you, it happens to you. The event happens inside of yourself. And since that event happens, you now can have faith in it happening again. Does that make sense? But before that event happens, it's very hard to have faith that it's going to happen. It's only when it happens that the faith generally is present. Does that make sense? So, so a prayer for faith is actually a longing for God to to demonstrate to you that you have reasons to have faith in God. And when you think about it, there is a lot of external help that we can receive to help us have faith in God. Help from our spirit friends, help from our experiences in our day-to-day life, and also examples of, that we see of other people who are in a place where they've received divine love. So we have many examples that we can emulate, and that gives us faith. But the true faith... The one that is the conviction inside only really occurs once we've received the divine love the first time and then after that the faith begins to grow. Does that make sense? So we can sort of use our intellect to develop nearly a pseudo-faith until we get the real faith. We can, but um, it's not real, is it? Remember, everything you do in your intellect really in the end, you need to use your intellect to work things out, just like I said in that message that I just read. You do need to use your mind to analyse things, but at the end of the day, until you have the experience, real faith will not be present. Does that make sense? And, and many Christian people in, in Christian religions have had the experience. They have had the experience of having divine love enter them, and so they have faith. But then what they start to do is they start to believe the reason why they had the experience was because they believed in the blood of Jesus and they believed in all these different belief systems, some of which are very different to each other, even though the two people have had the same experience. 
So you might have two people in different religions with different beliefs having the same experience and they think it's because of their different beliefs. But it's not. It's because they had a longing for divine love in that moment and they had the experience. The experience transformed their soul. Now they had some faith. But then they start putting their faith in the wrong direction. Instead of putting their faith in, I longed for God's love. That was the feeling I had. I had a feeling of remorse about my life. That was the feeling I had. And then God's love entered me. Oh, I can replicate that process. It's got nothing to do with the belief systems that I've got. It's got everything to do with the feelings that I had with God. And that's what we need to come to appreciate. Just one more little thing then. So in our prayer for faith, Mm -hmm. is is that different then to our prayer for, for God's love, for the divine love? Well, yeah, you could say in a way that um, until you receive divine love, true faith will not actually occur inside of your soul because you're not yet having the experience. However, you do need to have some kind of belief that it's going to happen. Otherwise, you wouldn't even bother praying for love in the first place. Does that make sense? So we can actually pray that we actually get inside of us some kind of proof system, some kind of proof that comes from external systems into us that, that if we pray, we'll get an answer. <laughs> we need to have some of that intellectual thought as well in the process. Does that make sense? So it's not just all, all the heart, not none of the mind, but rather we need to use our mind in harmony with investigating truth and then you'll find you'll have the experience. Once you have the experience, you have the proof, and then you can then work on replicating the experience by using that proof and evidence you have. Yep. Yep. If we go across, if we go across, if you keep your hand up there, that's it. Oh, hello, AJ. This is Carlos. I just would like to ask a question. Uh, when it comes to addictions, uh, most people refer addictions to something that is negative, and you mentioned smoking or drinking or whatever it is. What happens when the addiction actually happens to be a positive one, such as I care more about other people than myself, or I do more to help others than I will do to help myself? It's a or, very good question. And, uh, and can I give you a very blunt answer? Please do. <laughs> there is no such thing as a positive addiction. You just answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> there is no such thing as a positive addiction. You see, every one of our... E- see, this is one reason why we justify the holding on to some of our addictions. Because we believe they're positive. We believe they're good. We believe they're going to be good for other people. So what I do, I'm, I want to help other people. I help other people. I help other people. I'm saying, this is a wonderful addiction that I have because I'm helping so many people. But you know what we're doing in the end? We get exhausted. There's the proof. You see, love doesn't exhaust itself. Love is... Like, you look at God. Is is God giving out love, giving out love? And all of a sudden, God goes, oh, I'm tired now. You know, know, I'll have a rest from giving out love. Is that how it works, right? But that's how we are when we're in the addiction of so-called giving love. You You see, when we're not in the addiction of giving love, so-called, and we're really in a place of love, you will not be exhausted ever from giving. Ever. Right? And the exhaustion is proof that the love isn't, in play, isn't there. Because once we're at one with God, we will not have the exhaustion in play. So every addiction is unloving. Every single one of them. There's no such thing as a positive addiction. 
We'll talk more about this in a, in a while. That's going to be challenging for some of you. Well, thank you. That was really good. Yep. Great answer. If we come down to Katrina and then... AJ, not long ago you said that um, spirits want me to satisfy their addictions. It's something that I have really struggled with, really grasping. Are you willing to talk more about that? Um, yes, can I... I'm going to do a whole section on the spirit interplay with addictions because it's very important to understand the spirit interplay. You see, you may have no other person surrounding you on earth and yet you might still be heavily in addictions because you're in addiction with the spirits who are surrounding you. And so it's very important to understand the interplay that happens between yourself and your own addictions and how that draws these spirits into play. And then what they do with that. Because what they do is they revert to bribery in order to satisfy your addictions, threats in order to trigger your fear, or total blackmail in order to remove love from you, so-called love from you completely, so you get back into line. All right? Now, many of you have already had this happen with your family, your friends and, and other people around you with regard to trying to get closer to God. And, and these, are in, these are addictions in play from their point and also from ours that cause an interplay emotionally and we need to address them. We need to find out more about them. So I'll be dealing with those subjects more specifically as we go on today. Is that all right? So if I'm meeting this information for the first time, yep. um, my question is about faith. Yep. I should then apply my faith so that when I'm getting angry, I'm, I'm feeling angry about something, my faith can kick in and I might not know what the addiction is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have, like you say, you can have faith that you must have the addiction, otherwise the anger wouldn't be present. And so there, where, where do I go from there? Okay, um, well, what I would do is I'd talk to God and I'd go, like, I'm angry, so now I'm being more truthful with God, am I not? I'm admitting that I'm angry. I've obviously got an addiction in play. I've obviously got a demand or an expectation that's not being met, otherwise I wouldn't be angry. But I've got no idea what it is. Can you help me find what it is? And then there's a whole series of other events that happen where God can help you with some positive spirits, with different events on earth, the law of attraction and so forth over the coming week will tell you what it is if you're open to hearing about it. The problem with our addictions though is that, is that we're a bit closed about hearing about them. Right? You think about it. The person who's smoking is going, oh, yeah, I need to give this up feels pretty good though, doesn't it? I know it's killing me, but do they really see their addiction yet? Not really yet, do they? Because at the moment they see their addiction in their feelings, now they'll stop going and they'll realize, uh, actually, by me continuing to smoke while I'm thinking these things, I'm already <laughs> demonstrating I don't want to see my full extent of my own addiction. Right? And this is what we often do in our day-to-day life with our emotional addictions. We notice them, we get told them, most of the time we get told them through our law of attraction or through our prayer and what God answers through our prayer. However, we want to continue them because they are so entrenched within us that, and we're so afraid of what they cover over that our, we want to revert to them. Does that make sense? 
So there's a certain amount of self-deception there at that second layer. Yes. You might be getting angry and you might have this realisation that you do have an addiction, but there's a certain amount associated with the addiction that's self-deception, isn't yes. it? That keeps yep. you in that same place. Yeah, we can even admit that we have the addiction, but often we will stay in it until we have a desire to release the addiction. In the end, Jen, the real thing gets down to how much do you want a relationship with God? Because if you want a relationship with God really badly, you will deal with every addiction and every fear. But if you don't want a relationship with God badly enough, you won't. It's just that simple. When an addiction gets triggered or a fear gets triggered, you'll just go back to your old patterns if you don't want your relationship with God badly enough. And this applies, by the way, you might badly want a soulmate, you know, badly want a partner in your life and all those kind of things, but honestly, unless you want God, you are not going to deal with your addictions with your partner either. Because sooner or later, your partner will satisfy some of your addictions and you'll stagnate until you want to grow beyond that point. Then that brings in other aspects of things like desire versus how much pain that you're in. And so how much, of your, how much from your heart do you actually desire to change your life and connect to a God that you may not, because of your addiction, you may not actually know is there? Or even believe or, is good. Yes. Or even believe cares about you or any of those things, you see. And, and this, is, this is the terrible damage of error on the planet. The terrible damage of error is that we have all these concepts of God that are very distorted and untrue. And because of that, we're starting out in this really, like, this, you could say the soul, the true self, is so constricted and trapped by all these false beliefs and all these false notions and all these false fe these feelings you know, that, that we have about God and the universe and how everything works that, that we can't even trust God enough to say, no, surely God must be good. And surely I can start with that one truth. You know, a lot of us can't even start there. And that's why a lot of times I've been encouraging people to try to deal with their emotions to a degree first. Because at the end of the day, unless you deal with some of them, you won't even see what's there even to, to even think that there's a God out there that, you, that wants to connect with you. And, and I feel often quite sad when I look at the world because I see how strongly man's false belief systems... And all of their pressures to maintain these false beliefs cause the individual self, the, per the person who is struggling to have a joyful life, to actually connect to the one true source who can give them that joyful life. And, and it's such a sad thing to see that we've got to go through all this fear and addictions and emotions and grief and, then a and anger just to even realise that there's a God there that what loves us and wants to connect to us. So it seems to me my question's answered because I was going to ask a question about faith. How does faith... Well, fa yeah, you can see how faith is important. I've got to at least at some point at least in my head even, even if it's not yet in my heart, yes. think there must be a God there that I can actually receive some love from. Otherwise, I'm never going to start the process. And that's the sad thing that's happened to our world, is that there's so much belief about there not being a God, you know, God's forgotten us, God's dead, God's all of these other things, and God, or God's a punishing God is like my dad, you know, God's like my dad, or God's like my mum, and well, my dad and mum, you know, often we feel they're not weren't they good, so we often impose a lot of these false beliefs upon God, and in the process that causes us to not have much faith. Why would I long for love from a God like that, 
or why would I long for love from a being that doesn't even exist? So I don't even start. And that's the sad thing I find. If you start, you will start to have some experiences that will tell you. Just, and this is what we say in the spirit world quite often, the spirits. Just try the experiment. Be like a scientist who for the first time doesn't have a concept of something, doesn't know about it, doesn't understand it, and, but the scientist that goes at least has a thought, oh, maybe this might be true, I will give it a go. I will put together a group of experiments that I can test to see whether this is true or not. We at least need to do that at the beginning. Yep. And then we'll go back. Yeshua, I have had a lot of pain most of my life. Physical pain? Uh, that and emotional pain. Yep. Soul, soul pain. Yep. And it's been so difficult and I've just had one thing, trauma after a trauma after trauma mm -hmm. right throughout my life. And at some stage I really wanted to get to the truth. So I, I wanted to find out what was going on, what was causing this pain. And what I ended up on a journey was uh, going into with this questioning for, and search for truth and search for just some form of relief from this pain. And so I ended into and f settled into an area where I thought was going to give me a huge amount of answers, which was the new age, um, going into every healing modality that you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, and I actually see now that I, how much I gave my power away to believing that a crystal was going to give me, take that pain away from me, it was going to give me the resolution and, and uh, that I really desired. Mm. And um, I put a lot of faith into those modalities and into those things because they were telling me that that was going to fix me. So you put a lot of faith in false beliefs, what yes. you now see as false beliefs. Yes, yep. yes, they were really just working with the effects of it and give me a short-term effect um, But or then solution. the problem kept it but going. But eventually, at the end of it, you know, I would think, oh, I'm free of that. Oh, I'm free of that. Oh, that's great. You know, I got through that. And then all of a sudden, down the track, I would find myself back to square one the every same, time. Same thing again. And yep. now I see myself tr buried. That true self is just buried under all of these things that I just really haven't dealt with, which I thought I was dealing with all of those years. And yep. so I now have addiction to truth to get to um, that true self and, and to that relationship with God. You I also have an, another addiction, though. Yes, and that sure. is an addiction to not feeling your feelings of disillusionment. Do you know what I mean? Like, you see, a lot of times we've had a years of uh, searching, searching for this, searching for that. And after a while, we start getting quite like hurt about all these searches that we're involved in, right? We start feeling quite disillusioned about every search. Every search sort of starts ending dead end. We have the cycle of the search. The cycle of the search generally is... Oh, it's going really, really good. Yeah, I really feel this is enthusiastic. This is going to work. We, oh, no, now this is going to work for me. Now it's permanent. Oh, I think I'm fixed now. And then all of a sudden, oh, I realise I'm not fixed. Uh, yeah, no, I've still got some more work to do. Oh, no, no, it's actually worse than that. I'm still actually right back at the beginning I was. And then I go through this terrible phase of, you could call it almost depression, right? Where 
I go, oh, I just want to give up now. Uh, I don't see any point. You know, we get real down about ourselves and depressed and low. And then, of course, we lift ourselves out of that slowly. We search for another one. <laughs> and then we go through the same cycle. Yeah. Yep. And the main reason why that happens is actually because of our addictions and fears. And one of our addictions we have is that we don't want to feel the feeling of being disillusioned with error. We don't want to actually just go into that grief place of feeling we've searched all of our life and, and just wanting, you know, not, not to be depressed about it, which is the suppression of the emotion, but just to feel the feeling of just being to totally disillusioned with the entire process. And how much that interferes with our, you know, our trust that God exists even and, and, and that God really wants to connect with us. And that's an emotion you need to let yourself... And you're connecting to it a little bit now, but that's the emotion you need to let yourself address a little more. Does that make sense? Let yourself feel the disillusionment you feel, the disillusionment about the search. Once you feel some of those emotions, you'll find a, a, lot, of our, a lot of our physical ailments in particular are created a, a bit from emotions we feel about ourselves but we're yet to release because we've been in our addiction. You see, a, a lot of times we can't discover truth until we let go of the emotion inside of us which is this panic to find the truth. Does that make sense? Like, because when we're panicked to find the truth, we're not actually in a state of longing for truth, we're in a state of fearing what the truth is and we need to release that at some point. To, to discover truth. So there's a lot of emotions that we are often in the addiction with and disillusionment. Um, what's another type of emotion, Mary, that you had with that? It was like a... Um, we called... Cynicism. Yes, cynicism. And, uh, and those kind of emotions are, are all covers, if you like, over deep fears related to deep grief that we have about the world, the environment that we're living in and so forth. And even deep grief that we have about God that we feel God doesn't exist, we feel God doesn't care, when's God ever wanted to have a relationship with me? Now, we're not realising in that place that God has always wanted a relationship with you, just not the addictive relationship you've had with your parents or some other person around you. Yeah. So feel the disillusionment feeling. Let yourself feel it. Yeah, Raj? Um, Joshua, can you just talk about the... By the way, guys, if you're uncomfortable calling me Yeshua, don't do it. Can I just say that to you? If you're uncomfortable calling me Jesus, don't do that either. Don't, don't break your true self. If you're comfortable calling me AJ, call me AJ. Just don't call me late for dinner. That's <laughs> Go on. Yes, sure. Can you just um, uh, talk about the subtleties of addictions? Because I um, feel that there's a heap in there. I want to go into this in a lot of detail. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. At this stage, I, what I want is for everyone to understand the overall picture of it all, if you like, and how it's interfering with your relationship with God. So as long as you all get that at this point, we can proceed on to the nitty-gritty of our presentation. Would you like that? What's the time? How long have I got? Another hour before a break, I think, close to. Is there any questions related to the overall picture... And then we can move on. Is there anyone that has a question about the picture itself? Not an individual question about the addictions, because we're going to move into that in a minute. Yeah? Josh, up the back there. Um, I just got a question about desire for God. Mm -hmm. And 
obviously with the anger, the addictions, the fear, our desire for God, like you're saying, is 10 minutes in a day when yeah. we're in our true, true self. Yeah. Because um, I was just thinking about, I'm learning about responsibility, so all of a sudden I'm in a full-time job and, and I'm finding that that's disconnected me from my inner child in that time a lot. Yep. Um, so my connection with God is not, not there, just like you described. Can but I mention to you, though, that um, there is no reason why your connection with God can't be there while you're in your full-time job. Like, for, instance, for example, when I was, when I was younger, um, I used to be a cleaner. So I used to clean windows for a living. Did that for nearly two years. And, um, and so the beauty of cleaning, of course, is that you can think a lot, right? And I used to love it. You see, quite often we look at jobs that we have and we don't love them very much, do we? But, but we're not thinking about the job and what it, how it's benefiting other people, how it's benefiting the environment, how it's benefiting ourselves. We're focused on the chore of the job a lot of the times, right? We don't realise most of the time that actually we could probably be happy doing almost anything. And the reason why we're not is usually because of some of our fears and addictions. So sometimes if you have a full-time job, you're taking responsibility now for your life, which is a very good thing. That is something God wants you to do, to take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility for your life, but now work on enjoying taking responsibility for your life. Do you, do you see? Well, that, that wasn't totally true. I do still connect with God yep. whilst doing things in the job that I like, like yep. when I'm in a de- desire, but it's not with everything. But um, and, and I, it, what I'm really interested about is yep. developing this burning desire for God yep. and... Um, it seems that the only way about that is to get really clear about the addictions, really pray about them, and do something about changing ourselves. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can agree with that it's only that. I feel that is a part of it. It's a bit like, um, for example, Ammon and man, the first human couple that many of you know of, Adam and Eve, they began life in perfection, right? But they walked away from God. Now... Now, they did that because of their desires. Their desires led them in that direction. They desired something that in the end caused them to break God's laws to get it. And as a result of that, you had the results of their degradation, basically. Now, the truth is we can be perfect and still, and, and therefore have no addictions, but still have desires that take us away from God. Does that make sense? So, so we need to do two things. We need to deal with our addictions that are in disharmony with our desires for God, but at the same time have a longing and desire for God. We need to do both at the same time. And that's an important part of this process. What I'm trying to address here is one half of the equation. The other half of the equation is the half of desire. Remember I had a talk uh, recently about the law of desire and how desire is such a powerful force in, in the way that God's created her universe. And so my suggestion is to use both desire as well as addiction. Now, what happens with addictions is addictions suppress desires. They make us think we have a desire when all, really all we have is an addictive longing to address a fear. Does that make sense? So, for example... Many of us hear about earth changes. We go, hmm, 
You know, there's earthquakes now going on and there's this going on and there's that going on and it just seems to be reaching, you know, more and more intense, more and more intensity around the earth. And what's starting to happen inside of us, for many of us, there's fear starting to go. And so the fear is starting to go, I don't think it's very safe by the coast. I think I might need to move inland a bit or move somewhere else or something. The fear is now dictating my action, is it not? Now, is that a desire? From God's perspective, no, that's not a desire. That's just an addictive response to the fear that you have. So, so what do we do? We run off looking at this house. We run off looking at that house. We look at this other house. We're going around like a chook with its head cut off, as the saying goes, trying to, you know, assage our fear, thinking that we're acting upon a desire. But that's not true. We're acting upon a fear and we're in our addiction. To act upon our desire, I would go, what's my long-term desires and goals in life? What do I want to finish up doing with my life in the long term? Do I want to live on the coast? Do I want to live inland? What do I want to create in the long term? What do I want to, you know, what kind of job or what kind of tasks would I like to perform? Where are my passions? Am I passionate about music? Am I passionate about mathematics? Am I passionate about science? What, what are my passions? And embrace those passions and do it like it's going to happen for the rest of your life and you'll be led to the right location automatically. Does that make sense? That's the difference between living in your addiction and living in your desire. A desire has much more pure motivations than your addictions do. Right? So many of us feel we're in our desire when we're actually in our addiction. Because we're acting upon our fears. And remember, the purpose of addiction is always to assage or make better or make the fear go away. That's what the purpose of the addiction is, to make the fear go away. So I don't have to feel the fear. So, Josh, hopefully that sort of shows that there's these two parts of the equation. There's the addiction part, which we do need to address, but there's also the pure desire part that we need to address. Yeah? Thanks. Okay, and Tim, in front. Um, just with what you've drawn up there, um, yep. from, say, like a, a religious context, is that um, the belief of what uh, baptism is supposed to perform for people? Is yeah. the um, breaking down of the layers to accept the Holy Ghost from a physical perspective? Well, I suppose for each different form of religion, they have different views of baptism. There are some who believe in infinite baptism. There are some that believe in adult baptism and so forth. And many of them believe that the baptism is the washing away of sin. And uh, in fact, there are certain comments in the Bible that would perhaps lead you to believe that. And so if we view this as all the unlovingness within us, that's, all that, that's everything that creates our unloving thoughts, our loving words and our unloving actions. That's all the unlovingness, all of those things, the fear of our true self, the addictions and that, the anger and other emotions like that. That's the unlovingness within inside of us. And if, if we go down the track of going, all right, so where that's the unloving and if I get myself baptised, that washes away all the unloving. Now... Have you seen that in practice? Like, have you seen every Christian that's ever been baptised, have you seen them all of a sudden go from being a sinner to a saint? Have you not? No. So does it work? No. You see, this is one of the things we need to come to terms with on the earth. Look at what happens and see the results, 
and then use your head and go, hmm, that action didn't seem to perform what they wanted it to perform, so maybe it's not much worth in that action. Does that make sense? And so it's quite logical to see that actually these things are not going to go away from you just by you getting baptised. They're only going to go away from you by having a baptism of the soul, the transformation of the new birth that I spoke about, being born again inside of your soul is the way that that transformation occurs, not through baptism. And, and so baptism is just, a, a, again, another way mankind has tried to copy something that happened in my life and turn it into something that, that has some effect. But in reality, the only reason why I got baptised was because I wanted to demonstrate that my soul had already experienced the new birth and I felt a completely different person as a result of that. And so I thought, well, the illustration came to me that it's like the washing away of all sin. And so I thought, yeah, I'll go down to John and get myself baptised right, as a personal thing for myself to mark the occasion, like a celebration to mark the occasion of my being born again. Does that make sense? That was the only purpose of it. But now what man has done with that is they said, right, if you go and get baptised, then you'll be a new man or a new woman. And, and yet when you look around you and see all the people that have been baptised, do you see many of them being a new man or a new woman? Don't you see them with the same errors, the same angers, the same addictions, the same fears? Many times you do. So baptism itself is totally ineffectual in actually creating a difference. The baptism of the soul, which only occurs through the flowing of love, is certainly got the capability of making that transformation. Thank you. Um, have we finished about the big picture yet? Or is there still some more questions about the big picture? Nina, down the front here, if we can't just... Yep, that's it. Hi, Ajay. Um, I've got a question about the desire and finding the true self. Yep. I'm really confused when you follow your desires and you feel that so much you and you get excited and everything. Yep. And then you're doing that and you've got the joy and satisfaction of following what you really want to do. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I, I, I don't have a longing for God. I... I feel happy because I'm finding myself, mm -hmm. but I don't have this big desire for God. Yep. Is that something to do with um, being self-reliant again and not trusting in God? Yes. And the, as I've said to you over and over, the, mo the most difficult emotion the human race has to give up is this issue of self-reliance. That's the most difficult emotion that we've got to give up. And because of that, we don't, like most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, don't have very strong longings for God. A lot of times it's because of our beliefs about God, mind you. Like, because we have all these different beliefs that God doesn't want to be involved in my life, that God's ineffectual, that God doesn't really care about me as a person individually. We don't, we don't see, we see God, and in fact, we're taught by a lot of religion as well, that God is sort of like this big power that has a, that has a big picture view but isn't involved in the individual. That's what we're taught, right? And so that teaching has a, becomes a part of our soul as well. So when we think about God, oh, yeah, God's up there somewhere, you know, whatever. Uh, let's get on with my life and sort out my life. You know, we have more of that kind of an effect sometimes. And, but, but we need to come to terms with the fact that actually at some point, if you really want to engage your life fully, you need to come to terms with the fact that actually there is a God who is personally interested in you. And in fact, she is your mother. 
She, she is your creator, the creator of the soul, the true self. And often it's our distance from our own true self that causes us to not actually feel this creation, with it, this, uh, this link with our creator that's personal like a, like a, like a link with, a, with an individual, any other individual. It's a personal relationship that we're trying to develop. And as a result of that, we use our addictions and our fears and others about God and we become self-reliant and we go off on our self-reliant course. And that, if you think about it, the New Age movement in itself is very much about that. The New Age movement is often telling us we are all gods. We're all a part of God. So what does that do? It depersonalizes God. So if, if you now have to have a relationship with a depersonalized God, is that going to happen? It's definitely not going to happen. A relationship can only happen when you feel the personality of God. And that can only happen through desire. And if, if you find your desire for God is suppressed, then there are definitely addictions in play. Does that make sense? So allow yourself to pray about those addictions that are in play. Now, those addictions are often addictions that have been with mankind many thousands of years. And they are hard to remove because we are so distant from our true self with those particular groups of addictions relating to God and what we expect of God. So if, if I find a desire like very strong, sorry, if, there, there if was... I've got a desire to do something, would I still doing it and ask myself why I don't have this longing from God or would I stop following my desires? Always follow your desires. Always follow your desires. Your desires will always lead you to God if they are loving. If they are not loving, the law of attraction will bring you corrections to those desires so that you turn them into being loving. So always follow your desires. Your desires will lead you towards God. Because ironically, one of the things God wants for you as a person is just what you want for your own children, and that is for them to become themselves and enjoy passionately enjoy their own life. And that is what God desires for you as well, that you become yourself and passionately enjoy your own life. However, God wants you to do that in harmony with love, because the way God's created her universe is that if you don't do it in harmony love, there will be corrective measures from the laws which will correct you and change you. Now, whether you feel those corrections on this earth or like many of the spirits who are in the room right now, feeling them now when they're in the spirit world, either way, you will eventually feel them. And so what we want to do is allow ourselves to follow our desires and eventually what will happen is we'll discover God in that process. If we really passionately follow our desires, we will Thank always you. discover God. Shall we move on to the, the real subject? So that, that was just a summary of the subject. <laughs> but you know what I'm like, I talk a lot and that's how it goes. So what do we want to focus on now? We really want to focus on this aspect of the addictions and what happens with these addictions. Because it's these addictions that prevent us from being harmonious with love and they prevent our connection with God. What I want to do now is talk a little bit about, uh, if I've got some time I have, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the process of the addictions and what happens when they come into play. 
You see, addictions all begin from a desire to avoid or escape our fears. Right? So when we're in our addictions, we have, are having a desire to avoid or, dis- or escape the fears that we have. Yep? Everyone's fine with that? Okay. Now, there are two things normally that we do with our addictions. What they are is we normally have some expectations... Or we have demands. And these expectations and demands are the things we want our environment to do to fix our fear. So you see this in play a lot, right? In governments and everything, everywhere, everyday life. So for example, there's a flood in Queensland. No, there's never a flood in Queensland, eh? There's a flood in Queensland... And lots of people are affected by this flood. They have all sorts of things happening as a result. Some have lost their homes, some have lost their livelihoods, some have lost their, um, you know, some have lost their families, even. And there's all these emotions that come up as a result of this loss from what we would call, and what generally is called, a natural disaster. But all of a sudden, the government has responsibilities that it never had before to make some of these pains go away. Now, what we often do is instead of addressing the pains and feeling our own pain and realising that if we feel it, our pain will go away, what we do is we want the environment or someone in the environment to make the pain go away. So, for example, imagine for a moment that one of the reasons why my house got washed down the river was because the government did something up ahead of the river, you know, to a watercourse where they didn't clean it out or they, or they did clean it out, one of the two. They did something to the watercourse thinking they were doing the right thing. And as a result of them doing that thing, my house got washed away. Where's all my pain going to focus on now? It's going to focus on the people who did that action. Does that make sense? If I'm unwilling to feel my own pain, I will focus that pain on particular something external in my environment, whether it be a particular person, a particular organisation, or the government, and so forth. I will focus my expectations and demands. But we're not realising in that place that the expectations and demands are actually unloving in themselves. Do you think that a person who is completely loving ever has an expectation or a demand of anyone? Well, no. The truth is that when you are completely loving, you will never have an expectation or demand of any other person. In fact, you won't even expect that they treat you nicely. You won't even expect that they might not kill you at some point. You won't have that expectation. And you'll be joyous in not having the expectation. You'll actually be happy about not having the expectation. So every expectation and demand we have is unloving. 
but it's the addiction, the addiction to avoiding the underlying fears and grief that cause us to go into this place of expectations and demands. Now, when we go into expectations and demands, what happens then? Whenever the expectation is met, we, go, we feel this emotion called happy or content. Right? And whenever the expectation or demand is not met, we go into this other emotion called anger, rage. Do we feel very happy? No, unhappy. Can you see that our own expectations and demands create our own unhappiness? You see, every single time I am addicted to someone else fulfilling an expectation and demand that I have for me, I am now setting up a dynamic where my happiness is completely dependent upon my environment. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my happiness completely dependent on my environment. And if you think about it logically, why would we? Basically, that means that any single person... There's how many people on the earth? There's a bit more than six billion. It's nearly seven billion now, right? There's nearly seven billion people on the earth, and I'm dependent on every one of those doing the right thing by me to be happy. What's the chances of that happening? Is there much chance of that happening? I've got, well, it's hard enough having one of them do something <laughs> that, that fulfills my expectation or environment, let alone seven billion. So if I set up these expectations and demands inside of myself, not avo avoiding my emotions in the process, wanting other people around me, my environment, to actually fix my life and make me happy, I'm actually setting up a thing in my life that I'm always probably going to be unhappy. I'm going to be unhappy most of the time. That's the trouble with addictions, you see. A lot of times we think that they create our happiness, but the problem is they only create our happiness under one circumstance, and that is when people fulfil our expectations and addictions. That's the only time they make us happy. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to me to be a very logical thing to do to make your own happiness so dependent upon everyone else in the, in, in, on the earth. And then if we add into the mix the spirits around us, how many of those are there? There's billions of them as well. So now I need all the people on earth and all the people in the spirit world to do exactly what I want to be happy. I don't know about you, but that seems to me it's going to be highly unlikely I'll ever be happy. Now, that is the problem with addiction. But you see, what we do, and most of us are very, very afraid of getting under the addiction. You see, remember from our previous diagram, we said the addiction is covering over the fear, and the fear is covering over our true causal cell, our true causal emotions, which is usually some grief. And can you see we're two layers away, even being in the addiction, we're two layers away from ever connecting to God. Because remember, it's only in this place here, in our causal emotions, which are often grief, that we're actually going to connect to God. Right? 
And so what, what we're doing is by staying in our addictions, we're preventing our own happiness, we're setting up expectations and demands that are never going to be met, totally illogical to believe they're ever going to be met, because 6 billion, 7 billion people are never going to meet all of my addictions. Not in your entire life will that ever happen. So, so I'm setting up all these unloving things, and on top of that, I am two steps away from connecting with God. Doesn't seem very logical, does it, in the end, if you want to have a relationship with God to actually stay in your addictions. But we are usually so afraid. Our fear is so great, palpable. We can't, we, we're in such a panic to get into any deeper emotions that our, it seems to us in this state, it seems to us that our addictions are a better place to live in than feeling the grief. And yet our addictions are totally illogical. It's totally logical to stay there. Can you see? Can you see how crazy it is? Like we set up these dynamics in our life and yet we, and we go for the thing that we think is going to make it all better but in the process we're guaranteeing it's going to be worse. And that's the thing we face with addictions. We can go through all the addictions of what we have and we will cover some of those probably after our break. But if you can see the dynamic that we're setting up for yourself when you're in them, that's very, very important to breaking them. Can you, can you see? Like if, if, you, if you don't see this is the truth of what's happening with these addictions, in the end you won't want to break them. You want to live in them, but you're keeping yourself from God, you're keeping yourself from ha- any form of happiness really in the end. Because it's highly unlikely everyone is going to ever meet your addictions or ever meet your expectations and your demands that come from your addictions. It's highly unlikely. And so you're setting up your own unhappiness. Does that make sense? If we can go to Lorleen just there. And then we'll come down to you. Um, AJ, I have a question about um, fatalism. Um, it's about non-expectation and non-demands. Fatalism, yep. Yeah, like, if you know what I mean. Um, so Where, where you're basically numb to having anything yeah, met. Yep. Yeah, so you don't, oh, well, you know, this is my life sort of thing. So is that even a step further away from realising you've got expectation and demands? Yeah, it is. Because when, what, what does fatalism help you do? It numbs you to your own grief. You see, you see, I get. I used. To, I was great at fatalism. I was, in fact, I was, I was a bit of a shocker with it, actually, because what I used to do is I used to go to myself. Oh, they've just treated me really badly. Oh, poor people. You know, like that's that's sad. And I go through all of this stuff about going. Oh, well, you know, um, you know. I know I didn't deserve it, but but obviously they felt that I did. And you know, I start explaining to myself all of their feelings. And all that did was help me get away from how I felt getting treated badly. Ironically, when I felt what it felt like to be treated badly, I started getting treated better. <laughs> That's the law of attraction in work, right? So, so while you tune away from your true emotions and stay in fatalism, fatalism is a way of avoiding how bad you feel about your life. It's going, oh, well, that's how it goes. Let's get on with it, you know. And, and it's a way of brushing under the carpet all the emotions. And remember, every time you brush under the carpet the emotions, what are you doing? You're distancing yourself from God. So, so you've just made a step to get away from your emotions, which hurt, and you want to get away from those hurt-based emotions because 
because you want to get a, you, you want to go into this place of fatalism because you don't want to feel the pain of the grief. And in the process of shoving them on the carpet, you've just disconnected yourself from any relationship with God, which is the primary source of your happiness. Again, not a very logical thing to do. Does that make sense? So if you feel a sense of fatalism, start, ask, start asking yourself, can I now, instead of feeling fatalistic about this, can I now go a bit deeper into it and feel how bad it feels to be treated this way or how bad that particular event felt? I need to feel how it was. Does that make sense? If there's feelings there, I'll feel them and release them. Does that make uh, you want to come down to Susan because she had a question. You still have one? Yep. Yes, hi, Jake. Um, with the expectations and demands, mm -hmm. within that would be control, wouldn't it? Which is one of my favourites. Of course, yeah. <laughs> control, control, of course, is all... Expectations and demands are all about control. <laughs> right, control, yeah. That's Very wonderful. I've recognised it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and that's where the spirit kicks in, isn't it? The, the um, unloving spirits kicking in as well. We'll talk a bit more after the break how they kick in. But yes, yeah. it's through the addictions they kick in. But what often happens is that they give us our expectation as long as we meet their demand. Okay. So they set up a cycle of what I'd call codependence, where I'm giving you something because I know that if I give you that thing you will give me a reciprocal thing that I want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, ladies, many of you have done this with your sexual relationships, actually, <laughs> where you've actually entered into a sexual relationship uncertainly because you didn't know whether you really wanted it or not, but you wanted it, you want the other thing you're getting back more strongly, and that might have been approval or acceptance or it might have been, it might have been the feeling you're being loved or it might have been security. And you were willing to sacrifice one thing in order to get the other. And that's what I call bribery. Yeah. So, so what happens with all spirit interactions generally, there will be one of three things going. There will be bribery. And the same goes with most of our addiction reactions on the earth. There will be bribery. Yeah. Then there will be threats. And when threats don't work, then it's blackmail. Right? And so this is why I want to get onto that part of the subject. Because, because in the end of the day, when... Due to these, we revert to some very unloving behaviour. And many of you, by the way, in the last six months have reverted to this behaviour in your day-to-day -day life in order to avoid your addictions. Now, the problem is, is often when our addictions are met, we go, oh, our life's so wonderful, isn't it? Like I'm just feeling so happy with my life. And, and if you're feeling happy with your life, but you're not yet at one with God, right? <laughs> that's a good indication that you are in heavy addiction. Does that make sense? Thank you, AJ. Because you'll be happy with your life completely when you're at one with God. And you'll grow in happiness with your life until you get at one with God. But if you're, if you're saying you're completely happy with your life and you're not yet at one with God, there's a lot of addictions in play. Natalie. AJ, um, my question is, if I'm really loving myself, mm -hmm. truthfully, can I still be in an addiction? If you're really... Truthfully loving myself. Yeah, but, but see, oftentimes we think it is loving to ourselves to actually get our addiction met. That's the problem, yeah. you see. You see, most of the time when we look at our addictions, we go, no, no, my, my addiction's good. Like, for example, 
Do you, do you mind me being personal? No, go okay. ahead. Um, one of your addictions, well, you've had a few this week, actually, that I can see publicly on the internet, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was really unloving. Yeah, but so, so um, I'm referring to... Do, do you mind? Well, you posted it on the internet. I don't know how you would mind. But, uh, but you, you were angry with an ex-partner for him having a relationship with a friend. Yep. Mind you, he's not your partner anymore. No. So what's your addiction? Control. Well, you want your ex-partners to still be in love with you even though you've gone off and gone with someone else. Yep. So what's that addiction? That's an addiction of have my ex-partner hung up on me I'll go off, and he. So there's a lot of anger in that addiction. Can you see that? Yep. That, so there, there we go. There's, there's the addiction in play. The addiction's in play. What do I do? I get really angry with my friend, right? Which you felt. And I did. Yeah. And and the addiction totally motivated that unloving behaviour towards your friend. Like she has a right to enter a relationship with a man who's not in a relationship, no, whether he's your ex-partner or not. And the feeling I had at the time was they're not allowed to be happy. Exactly. Why do you want them not to be happy? Because I'm feeling miserable. Okay. Well, you know, can you see how uh, I'm miserable, so everyone else in the world has got to be miserable too? Does that seem to be a loving thing? No. No. So, so can you see there must be some addictions in play with that? So, so this is where we've got to be very careful, Natalie, with, with regard to our emotions. We often think that that's good. And then we reflect upon our behaviour and go, oh, yeah, that's not very loving, that's not very loving. We start seeing, actually, that we were in the addiction when we did that, not, not in feeling good about anything. And oftentimes, uh, we do this with a lot of our life, unfortunately. What we do with our life is we often feel good when certain things happen, but we're in an addiction with that happening. For example, you see this often with money, where a person receives some money and doesn't realise that right at that moment they're getting bribed by a spirit to do something that's, that's bad with that money and yet they see the receiving of the money as a good thing. So they're in the addiction, in other words. And, and we see this quite, happening quite a lot. We'll explain this after the, after the break. How spirits will often bribe you, give you things that you think, you feel that you want in order for you to then go and do what they want you to do with it. The average person on the planet, how do you get him to actually uh, get involved in debauchery? You give him lots of money. And you look at what the spirits do with that with the person. Very rare for a person to actually then use that money in a manner that's loving. Most of the time they finish up spending it on this, finish up turning to drugs, spending it on women, on sex, spending on this, on that. Everything they can, like everything they didn't have up until that point most of the time. And so what's happening? All that's happening is they were given some funds and all of a sudden, whammo, there's their soul. Where's their soul? Their soul is now in this black place. Much blacker than it was before they had the money. And yet they think that it was good. Some of them. And this is what often happens is we can easily be bribed, if we haven't dealt with the emotions, into giving or meeting the expectations and demands of others. The fastest way, if you're in my family, the fastest way for me to deal with you in a controlling manner is to say to you, if you do that, I'm never going to speak to you again. 
A lot of people change their mind after that statement, do they not? Why? Because I just used a threat, which is unloving, to control their behaviour. And my attempt to control somebody else's behaviour is unloving. And yet I've done it, and I'm willing to excommunicate a person from my family. And why would I do that? Because I want to control. That's the only reason why I do it. Because I want something myself. I want them to be with me, not with anyone else. So we'll talk more about how these addictions get in play um, after the break. Yeah. How am I going break-wise? Ten minutes. Okay. If we can have a mic. Um, I'm starting to realise we have a really strong desire for God. It could be an addiction expecting us, him, to love us. We have a lot of addictions with God. Actually, and in fact, God doesn't respond to addictive demands. That's one thing we need to remember about God. So, you know, this is one way that we can tell whether we have addictions with God. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, nothing happens. We pray, we pray, nothing happens. We pray, we pray, nothing happens. We pray. Now, F you, God, I'm not praying no more. (laughs) That tells me that all the previous prayers were all, they're all addictions, they're all demands. Because it's a response. You see, the anger-based response, remember, is when the addiction or expectation or demand is not being met. You see, the truth is you will never get angry when you're out of your addictions. You'll never get angry again. Right? So anger is the result. And I'm not talking about the childhood anger where you're just sitting, you know, when you're processing an emotion and you're laying on the ground just having a good scream. I'm talking about the adult anger where you're just in a rage because something that you wanted did not happen. Does that make sense? And because something we wanted didn't happen, we turn to anger. And the anger is telling us that actually none of what we just did was motivated by a pure motive. It was all motivated by an unloving motive. A motive to avoid a fear or avoid some grief or to control. You see, the anger is a very good guide. Remember, three years ago now, close to I think it is, I gave a talk about anger is your guide. Anger is your... Many of you are yet to learn this, actually. Anger is your guide telling you that, ah, I have an addiction. (laughs) And it's unloving. That's telling me. And, and if I look at my expectations and demands in that addiction, I will find and discover the fear that those demands and expectations cover. And if I let myself feel those fears as an emotion, I will actually get to the underlying reason why I did all that in the first place. And while I'm there, now God can connect to me. And God can connect to me because I'm now in my true self. I've now had an awakening to what's going on inside of my own soul because I wanted to, because I made that choice to. Yeah? So when we're in these other places, and we'll talk a bit about the fear later too, but when we're in these addictions, we are, not, we are so far removed from God that we have no chance of connecting. 
the, but we need to go in and down to get to the connection point. So we need to go into the anger. We go, okay, I'm angry. I'm angry. I admit that I'm angry. Okay, there's an addiction in play. Uh, I'm angry, so there's got to be an addiction. And see, most of, even at that point, most of us go, no, it's your fault I'm angry. No, it's your fault I'm angry. No, like it was my husband's fault. You know, he didn't do the right thing by me. It was my wife's fault or my children's fault. Whatever, somebody, it's always somebody else's fault, right? No, it's because you have expectations and demands that you're angry. That's the only reason why you're angry, right? So it's within me. There's a, me, my expectations, my demands that create this rage within me. So I go, okay. There's an addiction inside of me that I desperately do not want to release. What is it? This is where prayer now comes into effect, where we can start praying for, to, for God to help us with finding what it is. To our spirit, talk to our spirit guides who can lead us to show us what it is. Talk to other people about the addiction. Oh, just the other day I discovered I've got this addiction that I want every woman to think I'm hot. Right? So that's the addiction. And if they don't think I'm hot, I just dismiss them, you know, <laughs> useless woman. And I go off because they don't think I'm hot, right? That's the addiction. So I realise, be honest. Now, it feels terrible when you're honest, honest with yourself and you go, wow, gee, that's pretty bad really when you think about it, you know. I basically want a sexual interaction with every woman I meet. You know, that's pretty, pretty dark emotion, and where do you think my soulmate is in that? Like, can't find her because she probably doesn't want to meet that emotion either and certainly wouldn't like to be a part of a relationship with a person who's constantly trying to sexually engage with others. So she's not going to probably be around much. And so what I do is I go, wow, that's a pretty strong addiction. What, what's going on? What, what's the emotion under it? You see, if I judge it, I'm not going to find the emotion. If I condemn myself for it, I'm not going to find the emotion. If I punish myself for it, I'm not going to find the emotion. I need to have an open-hearted investigation into my own unlovingness. And once I do that, I go, wow, I've got a demand. That's a demand. Where did that come from? I can pray about it and start looking at some of my fears. What is my fear associated with that addiction. And a lot of times our fears relate to how we view ourselves. So I might just feel with my, by myself that if I'm by myself and no woman is interested in me, then basically I'm worthless to every woman. And that might be a very big grief that I need to connect to. And on top of that will be some fear about that. That I'm never going to be with them because I'm, no one's going to, none of them are going to find me attractive. So, so in the end of the day, unless we're willing to face the truth of the addiction, we're never going to get below it. Does that make sense to everyone? Graham, you'd like to? We have the mic. Where's the mic? Thanks, mate. It's not on, is it? Or was? The battery's probably, I don't know. A lot of people, well, some people anyway, feel that anger can be used positively. <laughs> you know, like, uh, if they get angry, it motivates them to, you know, I'll prove to them that I can do it sort of thing. You know, somebody's put them down, oh, you can't do this. Oh, through their anger, yeah. they prove that they do it. Yeah. And, and like, can anger ever be positive? Like, there's that other thing about righteous anger, you know? <laughs> yep. 
Uh, I'm sorry I'm laughing, but I, I can't help myself. <laughs> it's always about addiction, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's no such thing as righteous anger. There's righteous, like, firm, there's firmness, like, I'm firmly stating the truth. That's it. That's firmness, but it's not anger and rage. It's not where I'm, you know, angry with the individual that I'm stating the truth to or anything like that. Anger always comes from addictions not being met. Always. And so if I'm even in righteous anger, there's a reason why I think that my anger is righteous. Why would I think my anger is righteous? Did I not say to you that anybody is allowed to do anything to you? That's God's law. God's law is that they have free will. They're allowed to do anything to you. That means anything bad too, by the way. They're allowed to do anything bad to you. Why do you think in the first century I said, turn the other cheek when someone slaps you in one of them? Why do you think I said that? Because I meant that. I meant that actually they're allowed to do that to you. They're allowed to do it. But there are penalties associated with their soul if they do it. There are certain things that happen to their own soul as they do it. But I don't have control over that because God's laws already deal with all of that. God's got all these perfect laws in place already correcting every single being in the universe. So I don't need to be involved in that. If I get into righteous anger trying to correct somebody else, I am automatically unloving. What about the Christian concept of uh, righteous (laughs) anger, you know, where you're doing God's will? All concepts of righteous anger are in the same boat in my opinion. There is no such thing as a concept of righteous anger where you're doing God's will. That has justified so much war and so much damage in the history that if you think about the fruitage of that kind of of thought, it, it demonstrates its own error. You think about how much Christian religion has focused their intention on destroying, historically I'm looking, not so much nowadays perhaps, but if you look at the 2,000 years of Christian history, the Crusades and all of those different things, they're all there to change other people into what they believe to be right, which is a result of their righteous anger. They were willing to murder people in war to change them. Now, do, do you, what, what are the results of that? The results of that is half the population on the planet hates Christianity. Does that seem like a logical, loving like, thing to do? What, what did I encourage in the first century to do? I said to love your enemy. <laughs> would you kill your enemy if you loved them? So is there any such thing? Would you even yell at your enemy if you loved them? What, what's love do? Love doesn't yell at somebody, does it? Love isn't rageful with somebody, is it? So would you even yell at somebody who, who, who's your enemy? Of course you wouldn't. You would firmly state the truth at times, perhaps. But you certainly wouldn't feel a feeling of rage towards them. And if you do, it's because of an addiction. And a lot of times the addictions related that are, oh, God's not going to fix it, so I am. In other words, God's God's laws don't deal with the fact that people do bad things, so I'm going to deal with it. It's sort of like the same thing that motivates vigilantism, really, in the end, isn't it? The government doesn't want to do it. So I'm going to do it instead. And all of those things are unloving. They're all based upon unloving demands and addictions inside of us and a misunderstanding, in fact, of all of God's laws. Because nobody ever gets away with anything in God's universe. Ever. Nobody ever does. Um, Just that little thing before about um, where somebody can feel that they can get angry because somebody's put them down and because of that anger 
they can um, achieve something that they wouldn't have achieved before. But it's motivated by anger. So is there ever going to be a loving outcome? Well, a lot of people would think so, you know. I, I, I know they I, think I know so. a lot of people have said, you know, I would achieve success because people put me down and they said, you'll never be any good. And I got angry and said, I'll show them. And so they achieved success. So what's going on there and what alternative would you have in that situation? It's the addiction of rebellion. There's, a, there's an addiction in rebellion. And the addiction is I'm going to prove to somebody that what they think about me is not true. Right? Now, can you see that that in itself is not loving to yourself? Like, if I didn't believe it was true, would I be motivated to rebel? If I personally didn't believe that the attack that was put upon me is true, then why would I even feel any bad about it at all? I wouldn't. So the fact is that if I'm acting in anger about an attack, then straight away it means I believe some of it. I believe some of those things that are being said about me. Does that make sense? Why, why do you think... Like, how many negative things get said about me already on the internet? Why do you think you never hear from me in any one of those things? Because I feel what I feel as a result of it, and I just do that, that's all. I don't, I don't want to get angry with them. To get angry with them would automatically place me in a more unloving condition. That's what those spirits with them want. They want to degrade my soul by me engaging in anger in an angry transaction with another person. I don't want to do that. I want to just feel, if I have grief, feel my grief about how I'm being treated. That's all. Once I feel it, I won't even believe anything that's being said about me if it's not true. I won't even have a feeling about it and I will still feel love towards those persons. So the righteous anger thing is definitely something that covers a lot of addictions. Mary wanted to say a little bit about it too. Uh, I was just going to say that um, the person who might succeed externally... You can come down here if you want. Because you're going to join me anyway and yeah. after we have a break. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Graham was referring to the person who might succeed externally. But if they've acted out of rebellion against the feeling, which is I don't want to feel how terrible it feels that nobody believes I can do this, even when they achieve the thing, unless they've dealt with that emotion, they're still carrying the emotion in their soul... So in their true self, have they really succeeded? They've just gone, really pushed themselves and laboured against a horrible emotion so hard to the point where they try to change other people's opinions so that other people feel differently about them so they don't have to feel the feeling which initiated the entire process, which was, I feel bad about myself because other people are saying this. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing I was going to say about... Um, just what was it? Righteous anger. Yeah. I think it's synonymous with justified violence, isn't it? <laughs> and mm. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Like it's very. I, I was someone who had a lot of righteous anger when um when I met AJ really, and I quickly learned that it was very uh, vicious uh, emotion that I was putting out to the whole world around me. You should change. I judge you. This is wrong. You're not loving. You should be loving. So I was righteously angry with all of these Westerners or all, you know, whoever it was that was causing injustice in the world. When, and really, how was I ever going to um, bring more love to the planet if all I was putting out was judgment? Yeah. 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 You see it happening all the time. And, and the terms righteous anger, 
as Mary said, justified violence. All of those things are just justifying unloving behaviour to ourselves and others and all of them are way away away from God, a long way away from God. Now, some spirits have motivated some of the questions you asked and I'd just like to address that because some of them have died in what they viewed as justified war. Like, In other words, somebody was going to do something so we have to go and do something to fix that. There is no such thing in God's opinion from just, as justified war. None whatsoever. And that's why many of these spirits are in the dark places they are because they are still believing that there is a justification to breaking God's laws. There is no justification for me to break God's laws even if all of you do. Does that make sense? If every single one here broke God's laws and I didn't, there is no justification for me to go ahead and do it because you're doing it. You can even bop me in the nose, kick me in the shins or whatever else you want to do and I would still not be justified in bopping you back in the nose or kicking you in the shins. Right? There is no such thing as a justification for violence. By the way, there is a penalty for every act of violence. So you kicking me in the shins has an automatic penalty on your own soul whether you believe it or not and later on in the future and as the many of the spirits who are with us today have learnt already they are now paying the penalty or they are now reaping what they sowed for what they did. Yep. James, thanks. So as you were saying that I was feeling that if I'm, say, watching violence in the situation and thinking, yeah, that guy really deserved that, then I'm incurring that penalty on myself at you, that time. Yeah, it's not quite as big as the penalty no. of the person who's actually doing it, but you are agreeing with his actions. Yeah. So therefore you are actually now, there is something in your soul that is darkening your soul in that process. Yeah. Now, it's not quite as bad as actually acting upon the feeling that you have actually going out and doing the same as what he done but but there is a, a darkening of the soul through that even that thought and the key is that thought came from some grief and fear inside of your own soul in the first place because you wouldn't have thought that if you didn't have that inside of you at some point so uh, it's really feel, reflecting something i feel that often when i'm feeling something like that it comes from a, a powerless place within me yep. yeah yeah, and it, there's also all sorts of feelings related to God like God's not going to look after me I've got to look after myself God's not going to defend me I've got to defend myself and so forth and so forth and when you've worked your way through all of that emotionally you don't feel the need to defend yourself and you don't feel the need to, uh, to grab power because of your own powerlessness or anything like that sure. yeah. if you just come down front if you it seems to me that the, the acid test is always, is it loving or is it unloving? The problem with our addictions, though, is we often think they're loving when they're not. That was... Yeah. It was like the question that was asked before. Yeah. Um, you know, what about my loving addictions? You know, yeah. like, yeah, there is no, yeah. no such thing. Or can we fool ourselves to think that... No, that's not the question. Do we always know whether something is loving or unloving? No. No, and the no. reason that... Um, it, I, I wanted to talk about my own journey and we'll do that after the break uh, with addiction, but the most humbling part of it has been realising that so much of what I thought was love is actually addiction. Addiction. Yeah, 
And that is something that we, like, we really do have to um, desire and seek truth if we're going to break down addictions because very often in our childhood we were told, I'm loving you right now and it, it wasn't love and it created an addiction and an expectation within us that is now really... It runs most of our relationships with everyone around us. Mm. Yeah. Well, now's probably a best time to break, I think. I think there are some teas... Yep. Out the back. What's the arrangements out the yep. back? I don't know them. Tea and snacks. And There's some snacks. teas Everyone and snacks knows. that people have brought out the side there, as per usual. So make yourself free to do that. And we'll come back. Shall we make it uh, half an hour or a bit longer maybe? Half an hour? Half an hour.